0: one of them the teacher did everything right but the rest of the space was women mm. and i was this like chubby looking guy in <laughs> in the class and you know there was no kinds of like introductions she didn't facilitate like collective crafting of space and getting to know each other and so I wonder still, like what did those women think I was doing there or did they read me as a woman too because I was in that space, which is also not correct and uncomfortable.
1: This is Prose Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. If you're here, you're like me. We are on a mission to make pregnancy, birth, and postpartum care better for all. And when I say all, I mean all. There is a group that is experiencing high levels of harassment and discrimination in the world as a whole, but in their healthcare as well. And so I wanted to bring on someone who has that lived experience, who has gone through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum as a transgender man, so that we can step outside ourselves if that's not our lived experience, so that we can start to understand what these folks are up against so that we can do better. When you know better, you can do better. And unfortunately, this wasn't even something on my radar five years ago, like it is now. And I'm grateful that this is being brought to the forefront so that we can do better. But I get that there can be fear, disbelief, mistrust, hatred in stuff that we don't understand. Maybe you've never been around this. Maybe you've never experienced this yourself. That's okay. I invite you to lean into any discomfort that you're feeling. Open your heart. And open your mind to learning about the lived experience of someone that's unlike yourself, maybe. I invite you to show up, even if imperfectly. I've literally recorded this intro 10 times because I wanted to get it right. I get that it can be hard. It can feel uncomfortable. And you just want to do best. But the first step is to just do it. Just show up, even if imperfectly. So right now, I'm showing up imperfectly. I'm here listening and learning and I invite you to do the same. So without further ado, here's the episode. Jacoby Ballard is a social justice educator and yoga teacher in Salt Lake City, Utah. He leads workshops and trainings around the country on diversity, equality, and inclusion. As a yoga teacher with 20 years of experience, he leads workshops, retreats, teacher trainings, teaches at conferences, and runs the Resonance Mentorship Program for certified yoga teachers to find their niche and calling. Amazing. In 2008, Jacoby co-founded Third Roots Community Health Center in Brooklyn to work at the nexus of healing and social justice. Since 2006, Jacoby has taught queer and trans yoga, a space for queer folks to unfurl and cultivate resilience, and has received the Yoga Journal's Game Changer Award in 2014 and the Good Karma Award in 2016. Jacoby has taught in schools, hospitals, nonprofit and business offices, a Maximum Security Prison, a recovery center, a cancer center, LGBT centers, gyms, a veteran center, and yoga studios. So basically, is there anywhere he has not taught? Um, he lives with his three best teachers, his partner, his toddler, and his wily dog. I have one of those too, so hopefully they don't jump, jump in and start barking. Jacoby just released his first book, A Queer Dharma, Yoga and Meditations for
0: Liberation.
1: Welcome, Joe Jacoby. I'm so honored to have you here.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, so first I like to ask everyone, so we have a lot of professionals listening and you know we're all kind of trying to find our path in this life. And I would love to just hear how did you get to do the work that you do today? Like what's, I know our tales are long, but kind of what's, what's your path? How did you find the work that you do today?
0: Um, well, my social justice work and, um, yoga and meditation, um, teaching were vastly, uh, separate for probably the first decade. Um, and, I just came to see that there is a need for the intersection um, within social justice. There is a need to um, slow down, to resource ourselves, to nourish ourselves. Um, you know, there could be it's like such a brickneck pace that we move at with social justice work because, for a good reason, right? Because there's people dying, there's environments that are being threatened, and um, the there's there is urgency. Um, And at the same time, we're not going to stay in the work if we we burn out. And then on the other side of things I saw in like meditation worlds and and yoga worlds. um, No willingness to talk about systems of oppression, either in the world as they might influence um, the people's lives who are in the room, or also those dynamics how they might be present in the the space itself. Um, So yeah, but you know, sometimes I'm like doing work right at the intersection of yoga and social justice, sometimes it leans more towards doing like diversity equity inclusion work for meditation spaces and yoga teacher trainings. Um, and sometimes it leans towards working with social justice workers, you know, going into their offices um, to lead a weekly meditation or being part of a retreat that they're trying to do for like to reflect on sustainability and work life balance.
1: So cool. Yeah. It's, it's so needed. It's, it's something I feel like we, we kind of put our, our things that we do in these little buckets, but when you can blend it in a way that really like transforms the world and transforms the work, I think that's where we need to be. We need, and I think, you know, the yoga space, I'm not as much in deep in the yoga space or the meditation space, but I'm more, we work in the perinatal space and it has Mm -hmm. some overlap, but you know, I've kind of been trying to work to bring you know, my work with, with exercise and yoga into the perinatal space. And I love how you're bringing these two pieces together that maybe felt separate for a while. So I'd love to just continue on. I really want to talk about, you know, inclusivity in the perinatal space. I find Mm -hmm. that um, I'm I'm sure it's very similar in the yoga and meditation space. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of work that we need to be doing. So I think if we, could we start with just a, maybe a quick rundown? I know everyone has different levels of knowledge on things, you know, inclusivity and especially the vocabulary before we get going, you know, even like the word sis, like some people mm-hmm. may not know what sis means versus trans. And if you could just maybe give us like the super quick one-on-one, like um, a vocabulary that we can use to be inclusive in, in our work.
0: Mm, in in perinatal work (laughs) specifically yeah
1: yeah. Mm -hmm. or just in general i think some people just they just lack the awareness and i think the first step is just that awareness
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so cisgender is um a term arising out of um biology and chemistry fields um Cis, the C-I-S, means something that stays the same or on the same side, whereas the prefix trans means something that crosses um, from one side Mm -hmm. to another. Um, So, uh, Julia Serrano, um, who's a trans writer and a biologist, is the one that coined the term cisgender, um, rather than using non-trans people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I actually had, I did not know where it came from. That's really helpful. I mean, I, I know what it means, but that's really cool. I had no idea. So I'm yeah. <laughs>
0: glad I asked. Yeah, it's useful. Um, some of the other uh, vocabulary might, you know, some of it is individual to, to different people, um, queer people. As you know, I do a lot of um, trainings um, on LGBT inclusive inclusivity in um, perinatal spaces. Um, so I I go through this vocabulary a lot, Um, and one thing that I always say is that um, queer people notoriously come up with our own language for all kinds of different uh, relationships, for parts Mm. of our bodies, for our identities in the world, you know, like, even now the, the terms that, like, youth are coming up with around, like, non-binary and um, gender non-conforming identities. Gender euphoria is a word that that Mm -hmm. I understood recently. Um, uh, My copy editor brought it to my attention actually, um, uh, which is just the the experience of being truly in your gender, truly Mm -hmm. yourself in the world. Um, But some of the other, so I always preface it to say that like the list that I have will never be the full list. Um, and it's always useful to ask people that you're working with, like, what is the language that resonates for you? Mm. Uh, in queer family arrangements, you know, birth parent uh, mm. and non-gestational parent can be mm. useful um, just so that because the, sometimes the word biological can like have such a weight that yeah. um, the person that is, is not carrying the child and not giving birth um, is kind of disregarded. In that way, um, and you know, for for gay men, they're they're not <laughs> carrying for cisgender gay men. They're not carrying or birthing the the child, but often lending some biological material for someone else to to carry and and birth. So surrogate, another term, very important to use that term also for you know gay men that are bringing a child into the world, so that it's not this is the child's mother. And then these two gay men are raising the kid, but like, no, this is the role that this person has taken on. It's a financial arrangement. It's a legal arrangement and the parents are the two men actually. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's important that we are aware, you know, if you're working one-on-one with someone it's feel to me, it feels somewhat easier because you can simply ask them, you know, you can say like, what wording do you would you prefer that I use, um, how do you, how do you manage it? I know you work in, um, trans centered yoga spaces, perinatal spaces. How, what kind of a language do you use in a large group setting? How do we, how do we, um, include everyone and, you know, not make anyone feel, I know, you know, I, I'm like the people pleaser. I just want everyone to feel happy. (laughs) And, And, you know, how do you, how do you feel, how do you make an inclusive space where everyone feels,
0: you know, included? yeah one of the tools that i use for anyone who signs up for my prenatal or postnatal yoga classes is an intake form and i ask them there like what are your pronouns are there is there specific language that you prefer for the experience of pregnancy for trimesters for parts of your body for your relationship so that i can mirror that back in this space mm-hmm. um, is there a language um, that would take you out of your body and um Uh, make you dissociate if I used in this space and and then I use as a group agreement for the whole that I talked through the first class that that I'm going to use gender neutral language which doesn't mean that like someone like a cisgender woman in the in the room can't use you know the language that works for her about her experience but more just that like I'm going to keep it neutral in order to like allow room for everyone um I use anatomical terms like, like uterus or uh, even vagina. And also I'm aware that trans and non-binary people might want to rename those, those body parts. for my own experience, I called it a, a, like a baby sack instead of a uterus and a baby shoot instead of a vagina.
1: (laughs) It is a shoot. It's a very accurate term. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So,
0: so mirroring back the language and then I also ask questions about their their family structure. Is there anything you want me to know or speak to? Like I have a student in class right now who um, uh, they're a non-binary person and their co-parent is, is a sister or woman, and they have a platonic relationship. They're going to be raising they're gonna be co-parenting, but they don't have a sexual or romantic relationship mm-hmm. with each other. So so even that, you know, like um, getting curious about the use of the word partner, And like, what do we assume that means? And who who do we assume that includes or not?
1: Right. I mean, there's so many different ways and different setups to Mm -hmm. create life. And I think we are becoming more aware of it now. Thankfully, I feel like even five years ago, six years ago, I feel like it wasn't even, you know, you, everyone, it was always there. I just, it wasn't in my like, I, I didn't see it yet. And I'm really grateful that this is getting brought to the forefront because everyone matters. Like if our job as perinatal professionals is to empower, you know, pregnant people, birthing people, postpartum people, we need to make everyone feel like they have a place. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, um, you know, it's not, you can, you can still be a mom. If you feel like you're a mom right. that doesn't, you can be a mom without making someone else feel bad that they don't. Feel like that's how they identify as a parent.
0: Right, right. And that was one of the, going to be one of the other vocabulary terms that I would often go through, which is um, parental title. That Mm. like some people use mom and dad or mama and papa, and some people use. Like other words in my in my queer communities, people use Papa and mm. Wow and Aloe and Abba and Poppy, and there's just like a wide array of possibilities.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, like, what do I want to be called when I'm a grandma someday? I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can go about. You know, I had a I had a couple that I went to their birth. It was and one was very tall, and one was very short. It was Big Mama and and Little Mama. <laughs> They were so cute. I loved it. So it's really cool. Everyone can just, just be who you are. I loved what was the word you gave, um, gender euphoria. I wrote it down, like just be your most genuine self in the world and let's just support everyone. Right? Like let's just love everyone. Um, okay. So we've done, we've talked about kind of centering in large groups. Um, I'd love to talk more about the birth itself. So, you know, I think the birth world, you know, even research, Cause I was just, I just did a big training and it was all, I had to dig really deep into different, you know, prenatal research, um, postnatal research, birth research, it all, it's all, um, very gendered. Um, and so it's just, you know, even, you know, things that, uh, big governing bodies will release, will say, you know, women. So how, so the birth world just set up for the cisgender folks, how can we, or how do you see, or how do you wish that the birth world could be more inclusive like in that birth itself or maybe, you know, prenatal appointments. (laughs) I know it's a big question.
0: Yeah. The research it's a, it's a big question for me um, because I, I I wonder about, you know, like even the studies about say postpartum depression, right? How is that different for a trans man who has just, if, if he was on hormones, had to come off of hormones mm. to get pregnant and to sustain the pregnancy, and then can't go back on hormones for as long as he's chest feeding. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, what is his sense of himself if he's like someone who's like living and passing as a man in the world, um, and he's like he's chest feeding, or you know, how does that? What is his postpartum? Um, experience like that's very different from a cisgender woman's okay. postpartum period and like how is depression, postpartum depression um, overlapping and just kind of could be, you know, a universal experience regardless of the gender of someone and also what is unique to the gender experience?
1: Right. We, we definitely need more research on that. I can imagine. So, so walk me through it. So, if someone is trans and they want to become pregnant do they need to like? I I know very little about this actually, so um I assume they need to come off the testosterone supplement mm-hmm. uh, or injection. Um, what's kind of and then you know assuming that's going to create changes in their body that may come with some dysphoria. Mm-hmm. So so how does yeah so so and then you're saying they they can't start things up again until they're no longer chest feeding. Mm-hmm. So so is that that's like a big struggle for a lot of trans folks, I'm assuming like that.
0: Yeah. It depends on the person. I mean, some, some people take um, hormones really regularly and then some people go on and off of them and some people Mm -hmm. never go on hormones. So it's really unique to the, to the individual. Um, But yeah, for someone who has been on hormones and is really invested in passing as a man um as a cisgender, you know would be assumed to be a cisgender man in the world Um, the some of the changes of coming off of testosterone are you know things that facilitate um Pregnancy and, and birth, it's like similar to like the, the rush of, of hormones that happens mm-hmm. um, when someone gets pregnant, that there's like a softening of material, of, of skin, of, of uh, muscle tissue, um, a widening of, of the hips, um, whereas when someone goes on testosterone, there's like a narrowing and a condensing and a constricting that happens. Mm-hmm.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth. And teach you what to do when during birth through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at bodyreadymethod.com. Yeah, so it's just it's just very different. So we we need more research. We need more um, understanding of this experience. You know, I, I love that. You know, I follow a couple of trans. Um, people who have gone through pregnancy and birth on social media. So I'm just trying to make myself more aware. Are there other, are there places? So let's say I'm a cisgendered birth professional or perinatal professional, and I want to become more educated on the experience of folks on that are different than me. Do you have like, what do you suggest people do? You know, I I think you have some work that you do. Are there books? Do you do recommend following people on social media or what's your what's your approach?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, it's easy to find so many articles now about trans people being pregnant and giving birth. Like I I just Googled it a couple of days ago um, for, because I wanted a specific kind of image and I was like, oh, that's totally possible to like really narrow what I want and find that now. Whereas like 10 years ago, um, even 15 years ago, there was like a single a famous trans pregnant man i
1: remember um, that
0: thomas Beatty, yeah and and he like his life got invaded by like the the media
1: yeah it uh, felt very it felt very like like shock factor
0: yeah, like totally. clickbaity
1: it was kind yep. of weird yeah
0: yeah <laughs> one of the people that one of the other pregnant uh, famous pregnant trans man Tristan Reese has mm. gone on to found, um, an organization called Transfertility that I really recommend that has a ton of resources, especially for non-binary and trans people. Um, and for, for cisgender people, I think it's just good to know about, um, or, you know, if you have trans clients to have resources that are specific for them. Tristan Reese has also written a book. The title of it is not, um, not coming to me right now, but it's, um, hmm. I'm sure you could include it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's about, about creating queer families. There's a, a couple of, gosh, I, I feel like I need to email you with like the different people that I follow. There's a Yes, please do.
1: I would love, love that
0: there's a favorite, a uh, lovely photographer of trans families that like every day I just like turn on Instagram and I see like beautiful photos of like a trans dude in his boxer shorts, like cradling this newborn mm. and, um, or yeah, different kind of family arrangements. That's just like so important to have pictures of um, mm. in general. And then they're also just like gorgeous photos. Oh, I love that. I think, you know, and we've been working on that as
1: well. Just creating more um i think spaces are safer and and correct me if i'm wrong when we see repre- ourselves represented so uh-huh. i think you know i see a lot of you know cis white skinny women and there's enough of us like let's be real there's enough of us in the world um <laughs> and in like re- represented uh-huh. so i think you know all shapes and sizes and representations like they deserve to see themselves in the media Uh And I think it's just, and even if, you know, the people listening to this, you know, just start following different accounts on social media, just start to see, just become aware it expands your world. I feel Uh like we live in these little worlds when the world is so big and beautiful. And there's so many amazing people. I tell my kids like, how boring would the world be if we were all the same? Like the world is better place, the more diversity and the more types of people there are. And so I think people just need to, you know, and, and, and on your website as well, you know, you think like a doula website or a midwife website, yeah. you know, what are you showing? Like, what are, <laughs> do people feel safe in your space uh-huh. or not? You know, I think maybe, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, I have the privilege of maybe feeling safe in lots of spaces because yeah. I see myself represented, but You know, if you were to go on a website looking for resources, you know, there's maybe certain ones that you would feel like, okay, this is not a space for me. Is that true? Or is that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also, it's so important to have that representation, but for the representation to also um, actually be representative, right? Of like who's in, who's in the yoga classes or who, Mm. who you're working with as a birth worker, that it's not just like, I'm trying to entice you in so that my practice Mm. gets more diverse but um, uh, reflecting back who you're already working with. And, yeah. you know, my midwife doesn't have any, uh, even queer people, I think on her on her website, um, but going in to meet with her, she mirrored back the language my partner and I were using. She, another thing that helped us gain her, uh, find trust in her. Is that she was a gender studies major in college, and mm-hmm. so we knew that like she she had she had done some kind of some sort of work around around gender. She knew about trans people, she knew about queer people. That's inevitable. And my partner's a gender studies professor, so we knew mm-hmm. um, what was on her radar. And then the other thing that I was gonna say, I went to two prenatal yoga classes myself when I was germinating, which is the word that I use mm-hmm. instead of pregnancy, and. One of them, the teacher did everything right. She was great. And uh, I mean, maybe she used the word womb once, which didn't really resonate for me, but she was trying really hard. And she's someone who's now a friend. She's also a doula. She's queer herself. Um, but, you know, the rest of the space was women. Mm. And I was just like, chubby looking guy in in the class (laughs) and you know, there was no kinds of like introductions or like um, Mm. she didn't facilitate like collective crafting of space and getting to know each other. And so uh, I wonder still, like what did those women think I was doing there or did they read me as a woman too, because I was in that space, which is also not correct and uncomfortable. Yeah. right? And then the other prenatal yoga class I went to, it was a partner's class. And um, my partner was incredible in reaching out to all of our providers before um, I had any contact with anyone to just kind of like, go through their discomfort with them herself as a, as a trans ally herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had asked this prenatal teacher, you know, it's a partner's class, we're both going to come together. It's not necessary at this point to like disclose like, um, you know, publicly like in the class, which one of us is pregnant, just so you know, it is my trans partner, but other people in the class will probably assume it's me and we're just going to let them assume it. Um, and that was like, she had talked the teacher through that. And that was the understanding going into the space because I just, again, didn't know who was going to be there. And I didn't necessarily want to be outed if I didn't have to be. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I walked into the room, um, when we both walked into the room, she came right up to me. It was like a beeline towards me. And she asked me, how far along are you? Oh. <laughs> you're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, you know, that very first moment when I'm when I'm meeting her for the first time, she did exactly what my partner had asked her not to do. mm. And so the whole class, I was, I was uncomfortable, even though there was only one other couple that happened to be there on that particular day. And they were a lesbian couple. So there was like a greater level of comfort for that, because I knew that we were like in community, we were family in the room, but, um, but just like, damn, if it had been like a room full of, you know, and I, I live in Utah. And so if it, if it had been like a room full of like 10 straight, cisgender Mormon couples that would have been really awkward for me (laughs) yeah I can
1: see that being very awkward yeah so what that that brings up a question for me and I think of this myself a lot you know um sometimes I think I care so much that I'm awkward and I say the wrong things you know Mm -hmm. because I'm trying I'm trying I keep showing up you know I know I have lots of unlearning to do from you know being raised in a really um certain way. And, um, so what do, what should someone do if they say something offensive, do something offensive, um, you know, misgender someone unintentionally, like, like, how do we, you know, how do we keep showing up? Cause you know, I hate for someone to be like, well, I'm just not going to try. Like I, sc- yeah. you know, you get, people get these like, well, oh gosh, everyone's offended by everything. You know, people uh-huh. get into these, into these places in their brain. So, so what should someone do? What's the appropriate response?
0: Yeah. I mean, that place that we can get to Mm. is such a bypass of the pain that's Mm. present in the moment. Right. right? I was just like, oh my God, this is so inconvenient for me to have to like attend to your specific needs to be comfortable, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which like that person is also probably very comfortable in the world as, you know, Mm -hmm. as they're saying it. Right. Um, so they have the privilege to not know what it's like to constantly be uncomfortable in different spaces. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think just like an awareness of one's positionality and like, mm. like, I have no idea how this might feel for you and cultivating a culture um, of feedback. It's something that all of my birth providers were really great at, um, you know, asking for feedback. For the most part, I didn't have a ton of feedback because everyone I worked with was very skillful. Um, Mm. But just just them offering that helps me know, like, they know that they're imperfect and they're not afraid of that. And they see us as partners in becoming better humans together. And then I think also there's a few times when my um, midwife caught herself using a word that like we had told her didn't work for us or didn't work for me. So she caught herself and she's just, she was just like, Ooh, sorry. I did this thing. Or I said this thing, sorry. And then used the right word and then just moved on. And that was exactly what I want. Just like self-correction. Or if I was the one that had to be the one to correct someone, um, to receive that and then just move on to not get caught in a shame spiral mm. or make that moment all about you um, and feeling bad that you made a mistake because really it probably feels worse for the trans or non-binary or queer person to like dwell on your mistake yeah. than to just like keep it moving and trust that like you're hearing like what's the right way to speak to me or refer to me. Ah, oh, that's so good. I think
1: I love how you said it's not about you. Like you made a mistake, apologize and move on, right? Like don't make it about you and your own shame. That's shame cycle. I think that's a really common thing. You know, people, you know, doulas, midwives, like we, we want, we have so much, we're givers, right? Like we Uh want to serve. And I think we have to think about how would that make them feel to dwell on your own mistake? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I love that. So what what do I want to ask from now? I just, I love these questions. I just want to like, sit, sit with that one for a while. Um, so what does it mean? You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm talking as an ally versus, you know, cause this is not my experience in the world. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm asking a lot of ally questions, but, um, you know, with that, how can, how can people show up? Like, what are some steps that you, you wish people would start implementing into their work with this Space. I know you at you started with asking people their pronouns, mm-hmm. including this on your intake form. Um, mm-hmm. You know, apologizing, showing up imperfectly, and sh- apologizing and moving on. Are there some some things maybe that you wish would have gone better for you, or some things that you perpetually see mm-hmm. that you think we need to become more aware of?
0: Yeah, I think educating your whole staff, say. A midwife paying for, you know, the whole office from the front desk people to birth assistants to uh, all of the midwives and doulas um, to take a training together Mm -hmm. um, to like financially invest in that. And then also in terms of your time to invest in that. It's something that in my own health center in Brooklyn, we did that constantly to take various anti-oppression trainings together. And it allowed us to have a reference point when something did come up as a business to like refer back to the, oh, like the anti-racism training or the anti-fat bias training um, Mm. that we had all been at and just like, remember what this person said? Like, this is the more skillful thing to do. Or remember like, this is, oh, you just use the harmful language, let's go back. And then I think also if there's like resource lists or um, at our midwives office, there's like several shelves of books. I wish that there was shelves, if there was, you know, many books like written by, by, and for queer parents and trans parents, because that would just like, again, signal like, oh, you're anticipating me in this space. You're not waiting until I show up. You're like, you're, you're knowing that eventually a trans or non-binary person or a queer person is going to show up in your practice and you are ready. You're preparing yourself as much as you can. You're preparing the space as much as you can.
1: Mm, I like that. You're anticipating me. I love that. That's, that's a really good way of, of thinking of it. So I want to, I want to segue to your book because I feel like, I, first of all, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to pick up this book. First of all, um, it's called a queer Dharma yoga and meditations for liberation. Can you tell us more? Like who's the book for like what's involved inside the book?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. the, in the introduction, I have a like a whole page of who the book is for, which is oh. basically the shorthand is it's, it's for everyone. everyone. I wrote it both to challenge mainstream yoga uh, when I was getting a lot of feedback on my queer and trans yoga classes as being um, separatist or exclusive mm-hmm. or perpetu- perpetuating division. So that's where the second half of the book came out of is, um, you know, I have some responses to that. Mm-hmm. Um, And then it's also for queer people who need to see ourselves mirrored in in the practices and, and have our stories told and have, you know, some reference points that are relevant to our own lives, whether that's about like, how do you navigate being in a small community and having to either remove yourself from community or be present in community with your ex. Um mm. ex-partner, your ex- colleague that you had a falling out with, someone that you had a friend break up with, because often there's very few spaces for us to be, and so then we have to negotiate that discomfort right. together. And you know, the spiritual practices have a lot of tools to to offer in circumstances mm. like that that help us be a better community together and help us work through individually what our hangups, what our wounds might be. So the first part of the book is all about the heart practices of loving kindness, compassion, uh, equanimity, sympathetic joy. Um, And then I always add in um, letting go practices, forgiveness, and working with anger. That sounds amazing. I
1: have been working on all of that. And I've started to meditate literally just this week. Well, I mean, I've done it in the past, but I've started I've renewed my practice of mindfulness. Um, you know, for kids, life just gets yeah. busy. You know how it is. And yes. um, I think we all could have some more self love. And to me, self love is love to all because we're all connected. And I think if everyone could just spend some time just like tuning inward, it will in turn help them to turn outward mm-hmm. and to give better and to show up better and to live more authentically
0: i think uh, that's the
1: goal okay tell us so we have the book we're gonna we're gonna make sure we have that in the show notes where can people connect with you or find you
0: my website is jacobyballard.net, and i'm on um, instagram and, and facebook uh, just by my name
1: perfect thank you jacobi this was so fun yeah, i thank really you. appreciate
0: you taking the time to talk with us thank you so much
1: Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy, the podcast. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. So thank you for being here with us. Please consider leaving us a rating and a review. This really helps us to get this important paradigm shifting information out there to those who need it. Also, if you are a game-changing perinatal or birth professional, or you know someone who is and would be interested in coming on the podcast, we want to hear from you. Please reach out at podcast at bodyreadymethod.com. As always, I am so honored to be here with you. See you next time.